Well, hello, everybody. Good to see you. I want to welcome everybody who's watching online, everybody in the room, people in different places. So happy you made a decision to uh, come together and go to church. Hey, I had a great week. I got to be up at high school camp. And, um, man, I learned cooking skills and I sharpened my dishwashing skills. But more than anything, I got to hang out with a group of dozens of high school kids who were so... Well, one, so excited to be out of their homes, right? But secondly, so excited to be able to have an intentional week following the Lord. And I get to be up for uh, this high school camp as well. And um, just thanks to everybody who's making that happen. So we're at your spiritual journey. I'm, I'm glad you joined us. I know that um, many of us are in process. Um, we call it being spiritually unresolved. I just want you to know you're welcome if you're trying to figure out what you believe and what you're going to do with Jesus, this is a, a safe place for you to do that. And for everybody who's following Jesus, we're disciples together. We are in this series called Picture Bible, and we're looking at classic stories that you would find in a children's Bible. And we're looking at them in a new light because they are foundational. They're pivotal. They've shaped Western society. They've shaped, shaped thinking. Last week, we looked at the Ten Commandments, and we realized... It's behind so many of the values that we still hold true thousands of years later. Here's what we're going to look at this week in 1 Kings chapter 19. It is the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal, sometimes known as Baal. I think a more accurate uh, uh, way to say it would be Baal on Mount Carmel, on Mount Carmel. Now, some years ago, I got to go to Mount Carmel and you stand there and it's actually, I mean, can you envision it? It's uh, not a mountain like the Beartooths, but probably 2,000 feet above the surrounding area. It is um, rounded on top. And in the ancient times, here's where you would worship the other gods. Baal, we're also going to read about another goddess known as Asherah. You worship on high places, okay? High places. So even in the Psalms, you'll read these Psalms that are written by David. Um, David will talk about uh, I, I don't look to the mountains because my help doesn't come from the mountains. I look to God. And what he's referring to is he's saying, I don't look to these places where people worship other gods. I look to my God, Yahweh. Um, and, and through the book of Kings, one of the things that they do is they tear down the high places. So if we were standing in Israel, you would look around and pretty much every promontory would have during low times in the nation, they would have altars and shrines and statues on all the high places for two reasons. One is you thought you were elevating yourself to get closer to God. Secondly is they could look down on you and take care of you. Okay. So we're going to read about a confrontation. And listen, if you um, have thought all your life that the Bible is tame and boring, you're going to read about 850 people dying today by the sword. One man named Elijah taking on an entire nation. Here's the background before we read it. So last week we really focused on the fact that there's two aspects to the Ten Commandments. First four, God says, if you want to live at peace, if you want to live in shalom, wholeness with me, here's four ways that you can be at peace with God. And it's, it's this, it's like, don't have any other gods before me. God actually uses this phrase. It's fascinating. It's very emotive. He says, I'm a jealous God. Like, I want your hearts. I want to be in community with you. Now, what we're about to read would epitomize the ongoing struggle that the people of Israel had. But I would contend 
that human beings have with God is these first four commandments are worship me exclusively. Let's be in partnership. I want relationship with you. That human beings are drawn to other things. And the story of the Old Testament is this. People, oh yes, they referred to God as Yahweh. You'll see that's translated capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in your Bibles. Yahweh will follow you. But these people over here worship another God who's represented by a statue and they seem to be having a great year and they win battles and victory and they're victorious and their crops are doing well. Maybe there's something to their God and it's like the Old Testament is God's always nudging them back. Come back. Come back to me. I love you. I've created you. I've rescued you. So this story would epitomize so many other chapters in the Old Testament. Here's the history. At this point, Israel has had 19 consecutive evil kings. Here's the phrase. It says, but that king did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, guess who's king? His name is Ahab. This is what the Bible says about Ahab. Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than all the other kings before him. And Ahab is married to a woman. We still have songs with her name. His wife is Jezebel, okay, Jezebel. So you got Ahab and Jezebel, they're in charge. Jezebel is very influential. In fact, she seems to have introduced worship to these new gods and taken it to another level. 450 priests of the god Baal, 400 priests of the god Asherah, and she keeps them in their home. She feeds them. She keeps an entire class of priests. God's heart is deeply grieved. My people, the king and the queen, have led them to follow these other gods. It's tragic. So you know what Baal was responsible for in the ancient world? He was the god of the Canaanites. He was the god of fertility, but he was associated with rain. If you've ever been to Israel, you need rain. It is an arid place. So as Ahab and Jezebel take the people this direction. The people begin to worship this God, Baal. Guess what God does? Oh, yeah? You know what you call Baal? You call him Lord of the air because he brings you rain. How about I decide it doesn't rain for the next three years? How about maybe I'd get your attention and you'd turn back to me? So Elijah, this prophet, he says, listen, this is what God wants. He wants you to come back. If you don't come back, it's not going to rain. He's going to like... Take it mano y mano to this God Baal who you pray to for rain. God says, I'm shutting it down. You're going to see that Baal is actually not a God. So after three years, what's happening? King Ahab is looking for Elijah everywhere. He's like, come on, stop. Make it rain. Make it rain. He finally finds him. And this is what we read in 1 Kings chapter 9, excuse me, chapter 18. We'll read the majority of this chapter. Verse 1, 1 Kings chapter 18. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab. He's been hiding from Ahab for three years. And I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. They have a dialogue. There's somebody else involved there. But let's jump down to verse 17. When he, Ahab, saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? So you've got a king whose people are furious because they're starving. And what does Ahab do? It's all about Elijah. 
Elijah says, verse 18, I have not made trouble for Israel. Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's, Yahweh's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? What, what, what a question. What a question. This is what he sees when he sees the people who have, their ancestors have worshipped God and now they're, they're, they're choosing to worship this new God by all. He says, how long are you going to... You're going to teeter-totter. You're going to waver between two opinions. You're afraid of your king. You're afraid that if you go back to the traditional ways, the God who rescued you, you'll be uh, oppressed. How long are you going to waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. Love that. It's just if, if he's really God, what should you do about that? Well, you should follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And this next statement, is, it's indicative of what is happening in the land. But the people said nothing. Elijah says, how long are you going to waver? And it's like crickets. There's no response. People don't know what they want. They don't know what they believe. They're confused. Let's talk about this portion and then we'll move on. I want to call this, point number one is the showdown. Okay, showdown. When Ahab sees Elijah, here's his assumption. You're the guy who's caused all my problems. You're the guy who's created this place where my economy is in ruins, where my people are thinking about rebelling, where my people are suddenly doubting this new God I've introduced to them. You're the problem. And isn't that just the case? It's so easy to look to someone else as the problem. What does Elijah say in return? He says, I haven't caused problems, but it is your choices. The things that you've aligned with years ago, it's the direction of your leadership that has caused all of these problems. And so Elijah looks at the people. I mean, you can imagine it on top of this large hill, gathers the people together and he just says, how long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you be fickle and uncertain. Why would you worship God and then say, well, maybe we should trade him in for one of these new stylish gods. One of these gods where we build altars and statues of him. How long will you waver? Humans have always wavered when it comes to the first commandment. This first commandment, if you shall have no other gods before me. It's always been incredibly difficult for us. Now, it might be a little bit hard for us to understand because I agreed. I bet no one in the room, no one watching online, you don't have a little shrine in your closet that you hide from everybody where there's your little statue of Baal, right? Or your little fertility goddess Asherah. We don't have that. But this is an ongoing theme in the Bible and this is this showdown that has to happen. Here's what happens when it comes to other gods. We are typically not induced by a statue to uh, some other god, but here's what happens. 
It's called idolatry, okay, where something becomes an idol. And idolatry happens when good things become God things. Okay, good things become God things. All you have to do is take away the O, right? Take away the O from good. It's something that could be good in and of itself. It's not inherently evil. It's not like worshiping Baal, but it becomes a God thing. And we have the same tension that's going on in our hearts. And this is why God lays out four commandments to say, no, 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 exclusivity between me and you. So what's a good thing that becomes God thing? Well, I'll use an obvious one, money. Money is not a bad thing. Right? Some people say the Bible says that money is the root of all evil. Uh-uh. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. I think money can do fantastic things. I am impressed with people in this church who leverage their finances to do the work of God in this world. I had a wonderful dinner on Tuesday night. Jenny and I sat down with a couple who have just been unbelievably generous. And I'm hearing stories in their retirement of ways they're planning to change the world. They've been really, really blessed financially. So money's not the bad thing, but money can, it's a good thing, but it can become a God thing, right? So I can begin to put all of my trust and all of my faith, I can say what I need for security is money. And if I'm not careful, I begin to be that person who wavers. And I look to finances and I wouldn't say this, nobody ever says this. I've never, you know, I've been a pastor for 26 years. Nobody's ever came to me and said, you know, I need to confess the sin of greed. Not once. I heard a lot of other confessionals, but none of us think we're greedy. I've heard us talk about other people who we say are greedy. But when money is the thing that I actually trust in, if, if, if I'm going to be safe in the future, I need more of this. That's a good thing that can become a God thing. And any good thing can become a God thing. Guys, i got to talk to you for a minute. I've watched way too many of us who, I don't know, maybe it's because life is so tame, but we get a hobby and we get so focused on the hobby. And a good hobby that was meant to be recreational, a good hobby that was meant to restore our souls, suddenly becomes a God. And we're obsessed with that thing. Our affections move towards that thing. It could go on and on. It could be family. It could be security. It could be a home. Whatever it is, is our hearts are always in jeopardy. Please hear me say that. My heart is always in jeopardy of putting its affections and trust in something other than God. It is an ongoing, constant battle that you and I will always face. Here's what false gods do. They promise what only the true God can provide. False gods, Baal promised rain. He promised fruitful crops. But only the true God can actually provide those things. So a confrontation needs to happen. This is the showdown. So this is where Elijah says, all right, it is time. We've got to figure out what we're going to do. Everybody meet me. And so here's how the showdown actually plays out. Elijah stands before the people and he says, how, how long will you waver? He says, we're going to, like, we're going to face off. And it is interesting where he says, if the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. It's, it's fascinating to me that God gets to the point when our hearts are wavering, we're drawn to trust in other things. And God basically says this, hey, 
if money is God, then go follow it. Go find it. Go get more of it. Put all your security in it and see what happens. If pleasure is God, then give yourself over to pleasure. Take off all restraints. You just go ahead and do it. That God says, hey, listen, if that's what you want, you go do that. And you're going to find that it's actually empty in the end. It's empty in the end. So here's what happens. God stands in front of these 850 prophets and goes, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have two bowls. One for all of you and one for me. And we're going to sacrifice these bulls and we're going to put them on an altar. And here we are on top of Mount Carmel. And then this is what we're going to see. We're going to say whose God is the true God. By We're going to call down fire from heaven. And we're going to plead and we're going to go before our God. And whichever God sends fire consumes the sacrifice. That's when we know who is the true God. So God is always, I would say this, God is pushing my heart towards these moments of showdown. You think, listen, you can be a pastor and the church can become your God. Your security, COVID has not been good for this. Uh, Your security, your hope for the future, your sense of identity can be wrapped up in a good godly organization. Oh, yeah. God wants to point me towards a showdown. So. Let's pick up. We're going to read a little bit more. Now there are these two bulls laid, off, laid out on these two different altars. First Kings chapter 18, we'll start at verse 27. Then they, the prophets of Baal, called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, literal translation, Elijah started talking smack. Like he's just going to start taunting them. He began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy. Okay, interestingly, the phrase or busy in Hebrew is the phrase you used when you went to the bathroom. Hey, I'm going to be busy for a few minutes. Elijah literally, like if you look at this in the vernacular, he's saying, maybe he's on the pot. Maybe you should just yell a little louder. Or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and he must be awakened. So they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. And remember, there's a massive crowd of wavering, undecided people watching. Skip a few verses. Verse 36. At the time of the sacrifice, it would be about 6 p.m., the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Remember that phrase. He stepped forward and prayed. Lord, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and of Israel, Jacob or Israel. So he's, he's rooting his prayers for people who have lost their way in the historical God. We've studied these people over the summer months. The God who has gotten us to this point, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, 
answer me so these people will know that you are Lord, you are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. And what Elijah does is after their whole day of praying, he's had water poured on his sacrifice three different times. Okay, so now it's just, it's soaking wet. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. God apparently dropped some napalm or something. Just whoop, it's gone. When the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried out, the Lord, Yahweh, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Okay, one of the things I, I find fascinating is at the time when this story happens, it's a nation that is in utter chaos. They have an evil king. Of evil queen. Spiritually, they have decayed to a place where they have never been before. It, it is chaotic. Economically, they're in ruins. I mean, this, this is a really, really difficult time. Here's point number two. So number one is God is always going to push us towards a showdown. He's always going to say, hey, who are you going to worship? Because remember this funny phrase, God is a jealous God. He wants my heart. Point number two is this. Somebody step forward and pray. Just somebody. Who's it going to be? There is an entire nation watching. And they've just watched for the last 12 hours approximately. The, the, the most devout religious people in the land pray to these gods and nothing actually happens at all. And Elijah says, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to step forward in the midst of the chaos. In the midst of the political upheaval, in the midst of the economic uncertainty, in the midst of leaders who are not doing a good job, I am going to step forward and here's what I'm going to do during this very significant crisis. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to whine. I will talk a little smack. But I'm going to pray. Notice the difference between his prayer in the 12 hours of prayer that had just gone on. 12 hours of prayer was shouting, cutting, sacrifice. It's typical religious prayer. Do more, try harder. It's all about me. I have to be more earnest in order for God to hear me. And Elijah just says, let me step forward and here's how I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel. I'm gonna pray, God, not that you would make my name great, I am not going to pray for some miraculous moment that will change everybody's minds and lives. Here's what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray, God, that you would prove yourself. I am going to pray that you would be known. I'm going to be, pray that the thousands of people who are observing, who are wandering, who are wavering, who have been deceived, who are drawn to other gods, that you would do something in this moment that is so profound and so powerful that it would turn their hearts back to you. This is what prayer's about. And ladies and gentlemen, can I just humbly, humbly suggest this? In a time where everybody seems frustrated by something right now, like that mask that's on your face, right? Like all the challenges and what is happening. How about somebody just step up and pray? And not pray for their opinions to be validated by God. But just pray this. Hey, God, how about you show up and you do something that people can't explain? 
and that you prove yourself and what you do in this world today would turn people's hearts back to you, that the wavering people that we are would be convinced in your goodness. He says, answer me, God, not for my benefit, but for your glory, for your fame in the land. For all of us who are worried about the world, about our country, about the chaotic state of things, let's just be like Elijah's. Let's just step up and pray simple prayers that say, God, would you make yourself known? Pray that God would do extraordinary things in our world. You know, miracles in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is... Uh, chronicles the first couple of decades of the early church. Miracles are referred to in this way. It, the author doesn't use the word miracles. He uses these terms, signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. And, and here's, here's what happened as these early believers went out into communities that were Greek and they had no idea of who God was and they already had their own gods they were worshiping, the Greek and Roman gods of the past, is that somebody would step up. One of the apostles, one of these new believers, they'd say, hey, everybody else needs to know about this. And they'd go to some place that they'd never been before and they'd say, hey, guess what? I've got, I got a story. It's called the good news. And this is about a man you've never heard of, but his name was Jesus. And I heard him talk and I saw him die and I saw him resurrected. And this is what he came to do for humanity. People would be like, oh, good story. And you know what God would do? He'd do a miracle. It'd be a sign or a wonder. So they just find like, hey, who... Who's not doing well in town? Oh, Mr. So-and-so, so sick. All right, introduce me to Mr. So-and-so. Pray for him. I have a daughter who served in missions. And uh, one of her assignments a few years ago was in Turkey. In all the, uh, there's all these refugee camps, okay? Mainly Syrians, millions of them. And here's, here's what they would do. Like, they couldn't dialogue with people who were devoted to Muslim, to Islam about, you know, all these things. They would just go into the... <laughs> I love this. They just go to these uh, refugee camps and say, hey, who's the sickest person in your refugee camp? And like, oh, Mr. So-and-so, you know, like his leg smells like almonds, you know, like he's terribly sick. And they would purposely find the sickest person in the refugee camp. And they, she'd tell me that she goes, dad, I pray for people in the United States all the time. And it doesn't seem like anybody gets healed. But I go to a refugee camp where nobody believes. And like we saw people miraculously healed. And what does that do? Well, everybody goes, hmm, tell us more about this, God. We can't explain that. Here's one thing I'm excited about. I know a lot of us bemoan kind of the direction of Western society, maybe even the, the direction the United States is going. Maybe some of our traditional ties to Christianity are fading. Overall, you could say we're, we're less devout. Here's what I'm excited about. Anywhere where I've ever been, where people didn't know who Jesus was, God shows up and does miracles. It just makes everybody go like, what? I dismissed that Christianity thing so long ago. Is like, oh, that's fanciful. That's, that's a crutch. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't wait. I had one of them this week. Um, you'll know what I'm talking about. This couple shows up at camp, father and daughter, friends of uh, uh, people who have like graciously been cooking all week. Just out of the blue, they show up 
And um, they hang out with high school kids for five days. Last day of camp, they actually came in opposed, like no interest whatsoever in God. They're just like trying to get away, do a Montana thing. As they're leaving camp, um, somebody says, hey, have you ever been baptized? They're like, no. And I'm, on, I'm thinking, well, maybe we should ask them if they want to follow Jesus first. I'm like, no, this is book of Acts type stuff. And they, you know how they respond? So this is a first for them, just hanging out at a church camp. They're like, oh, yeah, we want to get baptized. Wow. One of the most profound moments of my summer is this. Somebody gets on the walkie-talkie and says, I won't use their names. They're getting baptized down at the pond. And all the high school kids flood to the pond. And they watch these two people be baptized. And they erupt in celebration. Here's a God proving himself. It's a sign. It's a wonder. It's a miracle. Somebody who shows up. You know how many people are coming to Montana just to get away from wherever they live right now? God meets them. God meets them. Somebody, just step up. Just step up and pray. And then here's the last point. It's all about turning hearts back to God. You, you just, <laughs> you got to love the conclusion of what we read. Whoof, fire burns down. And we didn't even get to the part where Elijah, all the people he was just talking smack to, he turns to the people and he goes, kill them all. Put them all to the sword. Wipes out these 850 prophets of Baal and Asher. Just like God has no room for this whatsoever. What do the people do? It's just that they fall to their faces. This is a Middle Eastern way of worshiping. They still do it today. You fall on your face and they say, the Lord, Yahweh, he is God. Remember, Elijah had just asked them 12 hours before, who's your God? Who are you going to follow? And they're just silent. Like, we don't know. We're not certain. But when God shows up, it sends fire from heaven. You have thousands of people on their faces saying, Yahweh is God. We've wandered. In this moment, we've been brought back again. That's, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, that's the mission of our lives turning heart back, hearts back to God. It's the mission of this church, COVID, no COVID. It just doesn't matter. It's, we're in the business of turning hearts back to God. If, if you're watching, if you're here and you're wondering, well, what's this place all about? This is what it's about, having people connected back to God, turning our hearts back to our creator. I want to end with just a few questions. First question is this, what are the God's? that compete for my heart? Okay, now this is it's not an easy question and it's a very easy question to just dis dismiss, right? Like, oh, no, no. I, but remember, it's the good things that become God things. It's the things that I begin to put my hope and trust in. It's about the first four 10 commandments of just, no, just worship me. This is gonna be so hard for you to put your trust in me alone. What are my gods? What are the good things that have become God things in my life? Just think through it. And I know at first you'll say, oh, I don't think there's anything. It'll be an ongoing constant battle. Question number two, where do I waver? Where do I waver? Remember the statement from Elijah, how long 
you waver. Be non-committal. Be looking for other options, easier ways to worship, more comprehensible gods. How long will you waver? Is there a place in my life where I waver between commitment, trust, and independence? I find that this is like an ongoing challenge years and years into following Jesus is that there's still every year areas where I think I don't trust him in this area yet. And I tackle one of those a year and try to trust him completely in that thing. Third question, where do I need to turn my heart back to God? In the midst of the cacophony and the noise and the parallels to the text we just read where a nation's just in a really difficult spot, where have I kind of gone off thinking, here's the answer, this is what we need to do, and what I really need to do is just turn my heart back to God just personally. And here's what I love about this. This is my responsibility. I turn my heart back to God. I make choices to say, no, 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 I'm not going down that road. I'm not going to fixate on this issue. I'm not going to bemoan this thing that happened. I am turning my heart, my thoughts back to you. And my final question is this, will I, can I step forward and pray? (laughs) Just pray, God, in the midst of this all, Thousands of people, uncertain. Would you do things that would prove yourself? And would people bow their knee and say, the Lord, he is God. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this beautiful ancient text. And it's a story that it's dramatic. It's about fire. And it's about a nation at a turning point. Lord, would our hearts be yours? Lord, would you teach us how to identify the things that make us waver, the things that we begin to trust that are outside of you? And Lord, even as Elijah, he wouldn't let those things continue to live. He said, all, all these distractions have to die. Lord, would we have an aggressiveness about us when it comes to the things that we worship in lieu of you, that we'd go after them with the sword? We say, no, 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 I worship God only. I I am going to get rid of that thing aggressively. Lord, would you help us to trust? Would we step forward? Lord, with the prayers we pray, it's not about the people praying. It's about the God that we pray to. Would you do extraordinary things in our world. Lord, I pray that you would do miracles in neighbors. I pray that you would do miracles in neighbors and family members' lives. We're not asking for miracles in our lives. This is not a prayer. God, would you give me more money and a nicer car and a bigger house? We're saying, God, would you do the things that would prove yourself to the people around us, that people would fall on their knees who have been deeply, deeply undecided and confused and say, yeah, he is God. Is God. If you're here or if you're watching online and you're ready to commit your life to Jesus, I'd say this I'm not asking, do you believe in Him? Um, 
When it comes to believe that we're, we just think it's a mental thing, I'm saying, are you ready to have faith to submit your life? That you begin to come to him and say, you're God and I am not. Here's everything I have. I trust you. If that's you you're in the room, would you just wave your hand at me and say, Nate, that's me. I got to make that decision tonight. It is so important. Okay. And if, if you're watching right now and that's you, would you just signify that before God? Say, God, that's me. I'm submitting my life to you. Beautiful. Beautiful. All right, amen. Hey, would you applaud for everybody who just made that very, very big, bold decision? Good. Well, uh, thanks everybody for being here. Would you be the hands and the feet and the mouthpiece of Jesus? If you need a Bible, if you're online, just click on that I have decided button. We'll help you out. We want to help you get started in your faith. If you're in the room, head out to the I have decided um, table out in the atrium. Uh, other than that, if you brought a gift to give, thank you so much. The ushers have little baskets that are on the way out. God bless you. There will be people up front that can pray for you.